0: Well, good morning, church. All right. As we open God's word today, um, let me ask you, do you believe that the Lord has something for you today? You believe the Lord wants to speak to you this morning? You guys aren't convincing me. <laughs> you can talk back. There you go. I hear you. Do you believe God's got something for you? All right. There we go. So I think that sense of expectation and anticipation matters. You know, when you come ready to feast, ready to hear from God, it matters. So amen to that. Well, let's give the Lord our full attention. Would you find your place with me in Acts chapter 23? We're going to pick up the last verse of 22 in just a moment. As you're turning there, um, I wonder if you've ever felt like a total failure. Anybody ever felt that way? Um, I, I feel that day on most days, the end in why sometimes it feels that way. Um, have you ever just really screwed things up? No matter what you do, nothing seems to go like you hoped it would. Um, every time you open your mouth, your foot just jumps right in there. <laughs> uh, Maybe all your attempts to fix things just keep like shoveling deeper into a hole. Well, as we open the scriptures today, what we find is Paul's having that kind of difficulty in Jerusalem. He was warned about it. Remember, every time he stopped by on his way to Jerusalem, people would say, hey, man, you don't need to go. This is going to be bad. Well, when he came to Jerusalem, he ruffled feathers with his uh, with his buddies in the church He stirred up a mob in the temple. He was arrested by the Romans. They gave him an opportunity to speak to the crowd and he got halfway through his message before the crowd was trying to uh, have him taken away and killed. He was almost flogged with whips and now he's gonna be taken before the Sanhedrin. I mean, it's been one bad thing after another. Everything Paul tries just blows up in his face. It's safe to say, I think, that Paul's having a pretty bad week, right? Um, the Roman Tribune, his name's Lysias. We're going to find out in the next chapter, but Lysias has been trying to figure out what exactly Paul did wrong. You know, he's he's been asking people, and he can't seem to get the truth. And so he decides now to take Paul before the Sanhedrin. He's going to have the uh, the Jewish religious authority to interrogate him. Maybe in that setting, Lysias will be able to find the answers. The Tribune going to find the answers he's been looking for. I'm I'm sure he thought that putting Paul on trial before um, the religious elite rulers would be a peaceful and orderly uh, way to get to the bottom of this problem. But um, apparently he'd never been to an old school church business meeting before. (laughs) Um, It was anything but orderly and definitely not peaceful. So hopefully by now you've found your place in Acts 23. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word together? I'm just going to read 12 verses. We'll pick up the last verse of chapter 22 and then 11 verses of chapter 23. This is the word of the Lord. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews... He unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul and set him down before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Well, then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Well, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a powerful way to step into this story. Paul needed you and you were there. Lord, we need you today. We look to you. Maybe there's someone here or watching online who needs you in the kind of way that Paul needed you then. I need you, Lord. We ask you, would you use the truth of your word to instill courage in your people. Transform us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am uh, thankful for real people in the Bible, aren't you? I'm thankful. and I absolutely love that Jesus chose people like Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, if, you, if you come tonight, we're showing a movie here tonight. It's movie night. We'll be showing uh, episodes five and six of The Chosen. And I believe it's in those uh, episodes where Jesus chooses Matthew, the tax collector. And I love how shocked the other disciples are. They're like, wait a minute, Lord, I don't, I don't know if you know who this is. And Jesus is like, well, you know, Simon, you, you weren't really all that great when I chose you either. And Simon says, I love this line. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's different. And Jesus says, well, get used to different. It's a great line. But I'm so thankful in Scripture that Jesus um, chooses people who really screw it up. What a mess Paul is in. I don't know about you, but I need to see people fail in the Bible. And I need to see Jesus step into their mess with his good grace. So in this text today, I believe that's what we see. Um, I believe Paul is trying. He's trying to do the best he knows how. He's trying to speak truth. But in everywhere he turns, he seems to make a mess. He must at the end of this, feel so alone. He's been taken back to jail, to the barracks. He must feel so alone. But it's in that valley that Christ encouraged him. You know, we enjoy Christ on the mountaintops, but we learn to trust him in the valley. So I want us to walk through this passage together and um, have a little fun with it. It's a fun text, but I want us to see what the Lord will teach us along the way. All right. So if you have your notes, um, let's begin together. First truth I want us to see from this text uh, is a little silly, but when it gets hot, don't lose your cool. When it gets hot, don't lose your cool. I'm not talking about temperature. I'm talking about the, the temperature of the room, the temperature of the environment, the When things get elevated, don't lose your cool. That's that's what happens here with Paul. You know, Paul tried to say, I don't think I've done anything wrong. That's how he opens uh, his testimony, if you will, on trial. He says, my conscience is clear up to this moment. This is pretty crazy because he's ultimately he's saying, even when I was persecuting Christians, I believed what I was doing honored the Lord. My conscience is clear. Paul's making his case right out the gate that he has not done anything wrong intentionally. This is just a a quick declaration. Like, I'm innocent, guys. And we look at the response here. Obviously, this triggered Ananias, the high priest, because immediately he orders Paul to be punched in the mouth. Right? Now, um, I don't believe I've ever quoted... Him in a sermon before, first time for everything, but the great theologian Mike Tyson once said, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> uh, uh, I practiced that line with my wife last night and tr- thought I'd try to do it in Tyson's you know, accent. She told me not to do that. So, uh, right choice? Thank you. Uh, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Well, this is what's happened with Paul. Maybe he had a plan for how this thing was going to go. And then whack, he gets hit in the mouth. And everything, as they say, hit the fan. And something rages up within Paul. Probably the same thing that rages up in you. If you get hit in the mouth. Anger, right? This sense of need to retaliate. to, To guard yourself. To fight back. Based on the way this text reads, I think Paul reacts in anger here. It would it would read really strange, actually, to read it this way. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Right. Doesn't even make sense. This is an exertion of forceful anger. Now. When he calls him a whitewashed wall, he's actually speaking truth and speaking prophetically, believe it or not. So it's not that what Paul said here is wrong. He's speaking truthfully, but there's a difference in speaking the truth and then speaking the truth with the right heart, isn't there? When Paul calls him a whitewashed wall, this is a uh, a reference to a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 13. The walls of the city had gotten old. They uh, were worn out, ready to just crumble. If you you push on it, it's coming down. But it was peacetime in the city. So the people weren't prioritizing protection. and the, The priority of the wall wasn't that big a deal. So rather than fix it, they came and just slapped some white paint on it. And the Lord says it's a whitewashed wall. And he will send his rains and his wind, and it will come down. And so Paul is making a reference here. He's he's calling him a whitewashed wall to say, You're not on the outside, or you're not on the inside what you look like on the outside. Paul is exposing his character. Paul's saying that this high priest, Ananias, may be painted pretty white, but he has some serious structural integrity issues. He's a hypocrite. Ultimately, that's the accusation here. You are a hypocrite. God will strike you. You gotta love that comeback. Like, God will punch you in the mouth. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, Paul spoke the truth. This particular high priest was pretty rotten. He... um, He's known for stealing the tithe money. He even stole from other priests and pocketed, lined his own pockets. He's known for being short-tempered and violent, as you see in this particular text. When he ordered Paul to be hit, it wasn't just an act of power, although it was. It was actually a breaking of the law. You know, he's not allowed, just like the Romans were not allowed to, to whip Paul, because he's a Roman citizen. This high priest is also not allowed to execute any kind of physical harm or punishment without a proper sentencing. He had to go through the judicial system before he's to be hit or punished in any way. But this high priest doesn't care about the laws. So Paul is exposing his character, he's exposing his conduct. Now, Paul's strong rebuke is unwelcomed right in the room. The guys around who who, who see this and experience him kind of verbally coming back, they say, hey, man, you're going to revile the high priest like that. And Paul quickly recognizes his wrong. Right. And he says, now, I didn't know he was the high priest. And he quotes from Exodus 22. Do not speak evil of the ruler of your people. As if to say, I know the law, and I would never intentionally speak evil of the high priest. So Paul gives honor to the office, even though the man is totally unworthy of honor. Now, there's a strikingly similar story in John chapter 18. I think maybe it'd be worth turning there. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 18. And you're going to see that Jesus is actually on trial before the same group of people, the Sanhedrin. Now it's a different high priest at this time, but Jesus on trial before the High priest in John 18, and we read the story uh, we'll just read three verses here in verse 19. The high priest then questions Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, "I have spoken openly to the world." I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what i said. Now, when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now there's a distinct difference, isn't there, in how these stories unfold. Jesus, similar to Paul, speaks the truth. I mean, he's he's a truth teller, right? But he seems to have a little more composure. One of the things we learn right here is this. Paul... Is not Jesus. This is better truth than you realize because here's the reality you're not either. Jesus was hit in the face just like Paul was. But Jesus has no need to apologize for his answer. Instead, Jesus turns and rebukes those who hit him with the truth. So Paul is not Jesus. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus never, ever reflected on a conversation and thought, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Never, ever did Jesus ever think, you know, I could have said that a little differently. Jesus speaks the truth with boldness without one ounce of evil in his heart. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but... uh, I struggle here with my own children. I struggle here. The truth comes out. I'm I'm a truth teller. But many times it comes out with anger or it comes out with frustration and it's seasoned with a little bit of evil. I'm I'm really helped here in this text by Paul's outbreak. I I don't know about you. His his outburst, he kind of loses it for a moment. And I'm helped by that because I lose it too. My mouth reveals the brokenness of my heart. Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the evil and anger coming out of my mouth is the overflowing toilet of my heart. It really is. I'm reminded of my sin and my desperate need for Jesus. Jesus never sinned like that. Even put in almost identical situations, being punched in the face, Jesus has the kind of composure to speak the truth still with compassion and love. second truth I want you to see is this. Again, we're having a little fun with the text. So uh, just go with me here. Know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. You you guys know the song, right? You got to know when to hold them, right? Okay. So here's one thing I want us to see. Paul does not preach to this bunch. Like he stands before the Sanhedrin. He does not preach to them. He's just been in front of a huge crowd and... And and the crowd hushed and he took a moment to share his testimony, talked about how he met Christ on the road. And and he was a persecutor turned preacher because of this beautiful gospel. He preaches the gospel to an angry crowd. But in this moment, he doesn't preach to them. I mean, they've literally just punched him in the mouth, right? Showing that this court has already made up its mind. And they weren't even really going to be bothered about the facts. Of the story. So Paul is discerning. He knows this group is already divided. So, how does he press into that? I mean, here's, here's what he does he, he announces he's a Pharisee. So, what he's doing here is he's immediately winning the favor of part of the group. You see that, you know, uh, back in Acts 23, the, the, the Pharisees say, We find no wrong in this man. <laughs> he won their favor. He knows that the central truth of his message is also the most divisive issue between these two groups, Pharisees and Sadducees. The the Pharisees believed in a resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not. And it was a very contentious issue. And so Paul, looking at the crowd, looking at who's there, he decides, strategically decides, you know what? Obviously, reasoning with these guys about my innocence is not working. So he kind of wipes the blood from his mouth and says... So I'm on trial because of the resurrection. And at that moment, these guys go at it. This is a strategic move by Paul. He has, he has chosen in this moment not to preach, but to bail. He knows exactly what button to push. It's as, it's as if Paul looks around and he's like, mm, no, we're just going to pull the fire alarm. And he pulls the fire alarm and it goes crazy. This council lost control, and Paul is ultimately rescued by the Roman guards again. Now, you might wonder, why did Paul not try to persuade these men? He, he could have told his testimony again. He could have begun preaching the gospel and say, guys, I, I was just like you. I was one of you. I was a Pharisee until I met Jesus. He could have tried to convince them using the scriptures. He knew the Bible as well as any of them. Why didn't he claim to be a Christ follower and just preach the gospel of grace? That was the whole reason he wanted to go to Jerusalem. And I would argue it's because Paul knows when to hold them and he knows when to fold them. Now, I'm not suggesting that everything Paul did in this situation is commendable. But I do believe in this moment, he chose, as Jesus said, not to cast his pearls before swine. These men had already shown their cards, you know. They hated Paul because they hated the gospel. And he knew that they were going to reject the message. And if he continued to preach it, they might even kill the messenger. So Paul quickly strategized and worked a plan to pit them against each other and get out of the situation. This is wise. Well, this type of setting requires great maturity and keenly listening to the Holy Spirit in the moment. You know, the Spirit of God will lead you to speak and not speak. And I don't know where you lean on on your struggle. Um, I think probably most people lean toward, you know, he's telling me to speak and I'm too afraid to do it. Paul leans the other way. But in this moment, I believe that he heard the Holy Spirit and heeded the word of the Spirit. There have been times in my own life that um, I've sensed the Holy Spirit kind of give a stop sign like, "Okay, you just need to stop talking, Justin, just. And I've just sort of pushed my way right on through it, you know, and it didn't go well, you know. (laughs) I learned I've learned in those moments, like the Spirit of God knows a lot better than I do. And I should just stop when he says stop. The truth is, the Lord knows the heart, doesn't he? And, and the Lord opens the heart so you can speak a 100 more words. And if the Lord doesn't open the heart, those were 100 wasted words. We just need to follow his lead. There's a, a really interesting text in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus is just beginning His ministry. He, uh, he has um, turned water into wine and wedding feast, And now He's come up for Passover. He's in Jerusalem and He's there for Passover. And He's actually working a lot of miracles. He's doing a lot of signs and wonders. And I just think this would be worth you um, seeing. John chapter 2. Beginning in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people. And the next verse, check this out. And he needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. This is a really interesting text, but here's what it shows us: is that Jesus knew the stop signs, and he was able to stop. He he knew these people are here for the show. They're not here to surrender to me as the Lord. And so he did not entrust himself to them. They can see the show, and many of them were like, This guy's amazing. The Bible says, Many believed. But then it says, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. That is wild. The truth is, Jesus knows the heart. The Holy Spirit knows the heart. The Spirit of God must open the heart. When he says, stop, we've got to stop. He says, go, we go. Also, I want you to consider this for a moment. Consider how sad this moment is. These men have rejected the gospel so much and so firmly That they're no longer even given an opportunity to reject it. Now I've heard people say that uh, as they reject the Lord, I've heard them say, well, you know, I'll give Christianity a try when I'm ready. Well, maybe. Or maybe this will be your last chance. There may come a point when you've rejected the gospel for the last time. Paul's eyes were opened on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus, and there was a sense of urgency in his response. Ananias came to him and and said, What are you waiting for? Repent, believe, be baptized. Wash away your sin. Trust call on the name of Jesus. What are you waiting for? There was a sense of urgency there. I love that question. And I think I would just ask you, what what are you waiting for? If you're not a follower, not a believer in Jesus today, what are you waiting for? There's a warning in this text, you know, that rejection can lead to rejection. reminds me a little bit of what uh, Jordan said a few weeks ago. You know, we we got to baptize Jordan. And I I love um, in his own testimony, his story, when God opened his eyes to the beauty of the gospel. You know, he called and he was like, man, I don't think I can wait another day. I love that. It's that kind of urgency. And that's what real faith sounds like. I can't wait another day. The Lord doesn't want you to. He doesn't want you to. All right. Last thing. Paul's challenges landed him back in jail. So he's alone. Or is he? Here's the third, third truth I really want us to take home today. This is uh, the best one. Okay, so if you haven't heard anything else, listen in right here. Third truth. Take courage. He's not finished with you yet. Take courage. He's not finished with you yet. I don't know if you see the phrase in Acts 23 verse 11. But I love it. The following night, here it is. The Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. That is so incredible. Jesus himself decided this was a moment to step back into the storyline to show his presence. That he's not absent. He hasn't left them. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. Send in my spirit. But in this moment, Jesus himself shows up. This is powerful, y'all. Now, make no mistake. Jesus wasn't busy doing something. and He just sort of stumbles in. He's like, oh, hey, Paul, what are you doing here? No, Jesus didn't stumble in at just the right time. This wasn't coincidence. Jesus is always there. But in this moment. Paul needed a special awareness of the presence of Christ. And Jesus is just that good. Yes. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Where it was a dark season, a dark moment, a, a failure maybe is pressing in on you, or the sense of depression or discouragement or something, and you're just, you just have this moment of total aloneness. You know, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. And maybe you're in a place of isolation, just emotionally. Maybe there's lots of people around, but you're just all alone. No, you're not. Jesus is there. If you're a follower of Christ, he is with you. This is the fifth time of six times in this book that Christ visits Paul. Get that. The fifth of six times in this one book that's not even all about Paul, but we get six times that Jesus Christ visits Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. He's forever changed. When Paul was ready to bail out on the city of Corinth, it had gotten really hard. Jesus shows up. He says, Don't be afraid. Keep on preaching. I still have people who are going to believe here. The Lord warned Paul, Don't go to Jerusalem. They're not going to receive your message. Instead, go to the Gentiles. Here in this text, Jesus comes to Paul in a very dark moment in jail to encourage him and to commission him to Rome. And we'll see in a couple of weeks in the middle of a really bad shipwreck. The Lord comes to Paul, gives him a vision, tells him, hey, you're going to survive. So is everybody else. And here's the plan. You're going to stand before Caesar to preach the gospel. Jesus shows up to give courage when there's a void of courage. I especially love this moment. Everything Paul has tried has been a flop. Everything. He finds himself all alone, maybe lying on a bed in prison, just staring at the wall, wondering if this is where the story's going to end. Then the Lord Jesus stood by him. Maybe like when Stephen was stoned and he looked into heaven, and the Lord Jesus was standing at the right hand of the throne of God. But right here in this moment, in Paul's jail cell, the Lord stood by him. This is why the resurrection is so central to. Paul's message, his gospel preaching, the resurrection is a core theme. He's going to preach a resurrected Christ. Why? Well, because the resurrected Jesus has met him all along the way and he's needed him at every turn. And here comes Jesus. Paul's broken down. He's struggling. He's having a hard time. Here's Jesus. Jesus comes and his presence, just lights up the room. Paul's like, oh, there you are. But then Jesus speaks. And here's what he says. Take courage. Seven times in the New Testament. These words are used. Take courage. They're usually translated. Take heart. They're always used in a moment of despair. Speaking life and hope. Into a person who is. In despair. I want to give you three examples. In Matthew 9 verse 2. There's a. A paralyzed man who's been lowered through the roof right in front of Jesus. It's a crazy, wild moment. This man is in despair, and Jesus says, Take courage, your sin is forgiven. Matthew nine twenty two. There's a woman who's been chasing Jesus through the crowd. She can't get to him. She's tried, tried everything known to man. She has this bleeding health problem for twelve years. She's tried everything. Spent all her money. She knows that she can just get to Jesus. She pushes her way through the crowd and finally just reaches and touches the hem of his garment. Jesus feels the power leave his body. He stops the crowd. He says, "Who touched me?" It was you. Afraid, she looks at him, and he says, "Take heart. Your faith has made you well." In John sixteen thirty three, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to leave. He's going to go. He says, "I'm leaving, but it's going to be good because when I go, I'll send my Spirit." He says, "In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart." for I have overcome the world. Jesus says to Paul in this jail cell, take courage, Paul. Jesus is always intercepting us in our moments of despair, isn't he? He's always calling us to hope in him, to rest in him. Do you feel defeated? Take courage. Are you are you stuck in a rut? Take courage. Are you at a loss for what's next? You feel like this is the end of the line. Take courage in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to give you three beautiful truths to go home with. Here they are. He is with you. He is with you. Jesus promises to never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. And he said in his great commission, he says, as you go, make disciples and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with you. You are not alone. Secondly, he is for you. Paul had lots of enemies. But Jesus showed up to support him. Paul, you've you've done well here, man. You've you've been speaking the truth about me here in Jerusalem. I'm for you, Paul. I'm for you. And for Paul, that was all he needed. He's going to write later in Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? No matter who is against you, Christ is for you. Thirdly, he's not finished with you. He is not finished with you. It looked like a dead end for Paul, right? There's no way out. He's back in jail again. But Jesus says, if you're still breathing, I'm not finished with you yet. Don't give up. Don't quit too soon. Maybe you're in your latter years of life. He has more for you than rocking chairs and shuffleboard. Okay? Jesus has a mission for you, and if you're still breathing, give him every breath. Run your race all the way to the finish. Paul's going to write 1 Corinthians 9, he's going to say, if you're going to run the race, run to win. Run to win. Jesus gave Paul another mission. He said, hey man, you've done well here in Jerusalem. But I'm sending you to Rome. This was exactly what Paul needed to hear. My mission's not over. Are you ready for what the Lord has for you next? He's not finished yet. Maybe you're in the room and you're not a believer. If you're not a Christian, you can be today. Listen, it's not too late. It's not too late because you're hearing the gospel right now. Don't reject the Lord. He came to save you. Here's the beautiful truth of the gospel. God made you. And he is Lord over all. He loves you so much. But just like every other person, you have gone your own way. And you have sinned against a holy, righteous God. So what does God do? Well, he sent his son Jesus to save you from his own righteous anger and wrath. He sent his son, Jesus, to absorb all of that on the cross, and he did. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Now, Jesus shows us how we're meant to live, to honor God. And through faith in him, you could be born again right now, today. Surrender your life to Christ. Trust in him. What are you waiting for? Now, Christian, maybe you're here and you're in a dark place. I want you to hear this. He's with you. He's for you. And he's not finished with you yet. Let's pray.